0: The True Worship 11. Epilogue. By J. S. Blackburn. Chapter 11. Epilogue. It is inescapable that there should be a brief return to the note of personal experience struck in the prologue. The description in the prologue of a simple assembly for worship would be recognized as true to life by anyone who knew such gatherings firsthand. It must nevertheless be conceded that the description was also in some measure idealized. It would be less than candid to attempt to conceal the fact that in a lifetime of association with such gatherings there has been a good deal of disillusionment, both at the level of externals and at that of the inner spirit. A variety of diction, intelligence and education makes heavy demands on patience, understanding and love on the part of each and all. A truly free expression is difficult to preserve, and a fixed and esoteric framework of vocabulary and speech can become as binding as any liturgy. The cacophonous dirge, at times and in places, is only too much in evidence. A hymn book used in an open form of service can become perilously near to being a prayer book. It is, of course, at the level of the inner spirit animating the worshippers that the real problem lies. The fact is that if services are controlled by a fixed organization with an elite trained to perform the externals, then this organization completely masks fluctuations and variations in the spiritual love and devotion of the individuals composing the mass of the gathering. The services can proceed decently and in order if spiritual life is totally absent. If, on the other hand, all support of a fixed order for services is deliberately removed, and everything is made to depend on individuals being moved and empowered by the Spirit of God, then every weakening, every fluctuation in the spirituality of the members betrays itself immediately. If what is in spirit and by the spirit is absent or enfeebled, then it might well be said that the members of such gatherings are of all men most miserable. Since it makes such demands on spirituality, is it worthwhile to continue the attempt to obey the Word of God in the conduct of corporate worship? Why not capitulate to expediency and venerable antiquity? This is the question I have tried to answer from the scriptures in the preceding pages. The answer must be in the affirmative, for two reasons, first because it is according to the truth of God's Word, and second because of the great spiritual gain from doing so. For the first, I underline the paragraphs at the end of chapter 4 and especially the sentence, they are cutting adrift from centuries of tradition and extending the principle of acting on the Word of God as sole authority and guide in ministry and in the church, as well as in evangelical truth. When once I see that such conduct of worship alone fulfills the sound evangelical principle of obedience to and conformity with the Word of God, then, like Luther, I can do no other. Obeying the Word of God is not an optional extra. For the second, I refer again to chapter 5, and repeat the sentences, the sacrifice of praise to God derives its fragrance to him from the sweet savour of the name of Jesus. It is thus pleasurable to the Father for his people to commune with him, sharing his delight in his well-beloved Son. That which we have seen and heard declare we to you, that ye also may share with us, and truly our sharing is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This is indeed the celestial music, this is fullness of joy.